open your Bible, if you will, to the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 19. I'm going to give you a minute to find it, 2 Kings in 19. Brother Gino, I love you, sir. The band, I love you guys. Y'all are anointed. Y'all have some gifts in this house. Miss Erica, thank you for coming up here with me. And Miss Marlo, our children's director from Place for Life, is actually here with us. I love you, Miss Marlo. And I see you, Ricky. That's my dad's namesake right there, my youngest son. Okay, 2 Kings chapter number 19. If you have it, say amen. Amen. Um, now, I heard that you guys just came out of a sermon series entitled Proof. Am I right about that? Amen. Amen. So I thought I'd come and just add one more sermon to this series. Is that all right with you this morning? Um, so I want you to look at your neighbor, and I'm going to give you the subtitle first, and then I'll give you the title, okay? So I want you to ask them this question. Where is the proof? Just ask them, where is the proof? Uh, but because, uh, because I'm me, I'm, I'm going to take, take one little bite out of culture, Christian, this morning. And uh, we're going to call this message, uh, do, you, do You Have Receipts? Look at someone and just ask them, do, do, do you, or, or, or just ask them, but, but, but do you got the receipts? You know, you can ask them in slang or you can ask them appropriately. Do, do, do you got receipts? Do you have receipts? For those of you that know, you know. If you don't know, just hang with us. Look at someone again and ask them, where's the proof? Look at your other neighbor and ask them, do you have receipts? Just ask them, do you have receipts? All right, all right. So by now, I'm praying that we all have found uh, 2 Kings chapter number 19. If you haven't found it by now, give up, quit, close your Bible. <laughs> look on with your neighbor or look on the screen. 2 Kings chapter number 19. Look at your neighbor again and ask them, do you have receipts? 2 Kings chapter 19, I'll begin reading in verse number 20. The scripture says that Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. Now, this is the same Isaiah that uh, you find right in the middle of your Bible, the big book named Isaiah. That's this Isaiah. And he sent this message to Hezekiah. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria. And the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. And I want you to skip down to verse 28. Verse 28, the Lord is still speaking. He says, and because... You're raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard from myself. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah to Sennacherib. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Verse 29 says, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah. So he's talking to Sennacherib and then he turns his attention to Hezekiah. And he says, here is the proof that what I say is true. Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year, look at your neighbor and tell him this year. He says, this year you will eat only what grows up by itself. And next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah and who have escaped the ravages of the siege, you will put roots down in your soil and will grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion, the passionate commitment or the zeal of the, Lord's, uh, of, the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I want you to look once again at verse number 29. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, here is the proof. I want you to look at your neighbor again and ask them, do you have receipts? You got receipts. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, here is the proof that what I say is true. 
This year you will eat only what grows up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. I'm going to preach just for about 15 or 20 minutes this morning this message entitled, Do You Got Receipts? Look at your neighbor and ask them, Do You Got Receipts? Or we could call it, Where is the Proof? Say that with me. Where is the proof? Let's pray in this building. Father, I thank you for your presence being here. Lord, I ask you to speak to us today. Lord, do what you came to do. Father, I believe that you're already working in this place. Father, continue to do the things which you came to do today. Father, there are things that only you can do. And Father, we thank you that you are here to do those things with us. I move out of the way right now. Father, I ask your Holy Spirit to say and articulate exactly what you desire to us as your people this morning father we give you thanks and praise ahead of time in the name of jesus and the church said amen can you just shout amen one more time and put your hands together amen look at your neighbor again and ask them do you have receipts do you have receipts amen you may have your seat you may have your seat i love hearing that we just came out of this series here at Quest Church, Proof. Everyone say that word again with me, Proof. Uh, because Proof is at the center of so many things. You know, Proof is a necessity in so many scenarios and circumstances. You know, you think of a setting in a courthouse, you think of a trial, and uh, the key determining factor as to which way that trial is going to be decided is going to much depend on the proof that is presented. Look at your neighbor again and ask them, do you have receipts? So proof is a necessity. Look at someone and tell them that. Proof is a necessity. And, and with proof being a necessity, I feel that in this day and age, we need proof now more than ever. I'll say it again. We need proof now more than ever. In other words, it's not just okay to have it, but it's time to show it forth. I'm going to say it again. It's not just okay to have it, but it's time to show it forth. You ever been pulled over because you were speeding? How well does it work out when you tell the police officer, I have the proof that I am a legal driver. I just don't have it with me right now. I feel that we're called in an hour where the church is trying so hard to exclaim, Christian, we have the proof. We just don't know where it's at right now. <laughs> it's hard to find and it's hard to show. I have an intention today. I came with a purpose, I believe with an agenda of the Holy Spirit that you would walk out of here today in greater faith. My prayer today is that you walk out of here knowing, full of confidence, that God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Look at someone and ask them, do you have receipts? Receipts are proof, by the way, if you didn't catch on to that yet. I didn't want to have to explain that. <laughs> I wrote this here, and I believe this to be true, that Christianity is beginning to lose its luster simply because faith has been lost. I know it sounds like a simple statement, but this statement prayerfully will set us up for this word. Christianity is losing its luster because faith has been lost. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible uh, because Hebrews is really the book that ties the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Hebrews is the book that really explains all of the types and shadows that we see take place in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, my uncle and I yesterday were having a pretty fun discussion about who authored the book of Hebrews, which most, uh, as well as I believe that the Apostle Paul was the one that, offered, that authored uh, Hebrews. And, 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 you know, it's quite a discourse he gives us in this book, Gino. And in chapter number 11 of the book of Hebrews, after explaining all these types and shadows, the Apostle Paul really cuts right through everything. And he says in chapter number one that faith is proof. 
excuse me, in, in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 1, he teaches us that faith is proof. Ask someone, do you have the receipts? Ask them, do you have the receipts? Uh, 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 we, could, we could word this in Christian terminology as do you have faith? Look at someone and ask them, do you have faith? You know, this, this is an important question in Scripture. This is a question that, that, that Jesus asked many times. Where is your faith? The locating of our faith is essential to our walk with God in our life. Faith is proof. Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us that faith is substance and it's evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's what the King James teaches us. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And verse number 6, if you skip down to verse number 6 of Hebrews 11, the writer says that without it, without this substance and this, and this evidence, without faith, what is faith? It's substance, it's evidence, it's proof. And without it, without faith, without substance, without evidence without proof it is impossible impossible is a big word it's not a little word impossible means impossible so without proof without faith without evidence without substance it is impossible to please God not please your parents not please your spouse not please your boss, not please your culture, not please your best friend. No, 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 no. Without faith and proof, it is impossible to please God. Can I ask a rhetorical question in this building? Thank you very much. I will. How many of you want to please God? How many of you want to live a life that's pleasing to God? It's amazing that so many of us proclaim, to, we say we want to live a life that pleases God, but we live a life without receipts. We don't have the proof. Culture says you're fronting, baby. The New Living Translation words these verses of Scripture, Miss Erica, like this, that Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. And it is the evidence of things that we cannot see. In verse 6, he says, it is impossible to please God without it. He didn't reword that one that much. <laughs> he just rearranged the words. It's impossible to please God without it. And anyone, anyone, now anyone is a big word. Anyone means anyone. Anyone who wants to come to him. Look at your neighbor and say, no exceptions. Must believe that God exists. Now, the writer here, and this is not my sermon. We're still in the introduction, but I, I, I need to explain that what the writer is doing is further defining what faith is for us here in verse number six, which is that we must believe that God exists, that we must believe he exists, and look at your neighbor and say, and. Because this generation's confused. We say, I have faith, and we follow it up with, I believe there's a God. I have faith. I believe in God. Faith is not believing in God. Faith is believing in a God that wants to personally interact with you, that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So verse number one shows us that faith, is proof for us. Faith is proof for us. And faith is proof for them. If you're wondering who them is, look around. <laughs> it's proof to anyone that comes across your path. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This is for you. And this is for everybody else. But verse number six says that faith is proof for him as well. So we need proof not only for ourselves, but we need proof for those around us. We don't need proof just for ourselves and those around us, but we also need proof for him. 
Because without this proof, we don't have faith. Can I say it, it like this? That without the expectation that something great is going to happen, nothing is going to happen. Y'all missed that right there. Let me say that one more time. Without the expectation that something great is going to happen, <clears throat> nothing is going to happen. Oh, let me help y'all in the way you approach church. Let me help you in the way you live your life. Let me help you in the way you run your family. Let me help you in, your, in the way you run your business. Without an expectation that something great is going to happen, nothing is going to happen. I'm still in the introduction. We're going to get somewhere here in a minute. So when you expect that God is going to do something great, when you expect that God is going to do something great, you can be sure that God is going to do something great. How can I say that again? When you expect that God is going to do something great, you can be sure that God is going to do something great. Can I tell you that there are two kinds of people in this room right now? They're the kinds of people that know that there is a God that exists and that's why they're here right now. But then there's another little remnant of people in this building right now that know not only does he exist, but he can't wait to get involved in my life and do something great for me. And those are the kind of people that are going to see God's miracle working hand at work in their life because my father is seeking for those who will worship me in spirit and in truth real faith so when you expect that God is going to do something great you can be sure that God is going to do something great I'll tell you why here in just a minute let's get to our text in 2 Kings 19 we won't be here much longer. If you look here, <laughs> I got a daddy, y'all. He's sitting right over there. <laughs> y'all can tell me take your time all day long. It don't matter. <laughs> his face going to tell me when to quit. <laughs> and his face talks way louder than y'all's voices do to me. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> In 2 Kings 19, here in our text, you know, the state of this circumstance, to say the least, is a very bleak circumstance. We're here, and you can track how we got here through 2 Kings chapter 18 in verse number 19. Um, it seems ironic that we would find this particular group of people in this uh, dire circumstance, Brother JC, in this bleak state, because when you read the synopsis of who Hezekiah was, um, you would never imagine that Hezekiah walked through this kind of circumstance here. And we can see that in 2 Kings chapter number 18, in verse number 3, the scripture tells us, speaking of Hezekiah, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. So there's something about Hezekiah that mirrored, reflected, resembled King David because Hezekiah was not David's son. He was his great, 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 great something grandson. But there was something about him that reminded the Lord of David. And verse number four says, it talks about some of the things he did. He removed the high places and he smashed the sacred stones and he cut down the Asherah poles. And this is so pertinent to us because it represents a man that is not afraid. He's not scared 
to dig a little deeper than the average person. In other words, he, he does not just take everything as it comes. You know, these Asherah poles and these idols and these things that were being worshipped during his time had been set up there for generations. And it was the norm to live a life worshiping, the, uh, at least amongst those that worship these Asherah poles and these, these idols. And Hezekiah could have been just like everybody else and he could have been just fine. But one of the, one of the things that, uh, that distinguishes Hezekiah is he's not scared to, to deal with, with these things. Uh, uh, bring it to, to modern vernacular, Pastor Dustin. Uh, he's, he's not afraid to deal with generational cycles and, and curses. He's not afraid to deal with the way things always have been he's not afraid to dig a little bit deep and say search me oh lord and see if there be anything in me that needs to be dealt with and removed and you know it's shocking to me how surface the body of christ has become it is shocking to me that we don't preach about breaking generational cycles anymore we just teach people to try to figure out how to be happy wherever you find yourself I came to challenge you today to deal with what made you who you are. Don't be afraid to take on the things that seem so insurmountable in your life. The things that have stood there for generations. The reasons why things are the way they are. Can I say it like that? My daddy was this way. My granddaddy was this way. His daddy was this way. What you think, of course, I'm going to be this way. My mama was this way. My grandmama was this way. My great-grandmama was this way. My culture taught me to be this way. My lineage taught me to be this way. My patriotism taught me to be this way. Whatever it is, don't be scared to deal with the astropoles that have been erected in the place of the most high God. Oh, can I preach in this place today like I'm in San Antonio? So he's not afraid to deal. He's so not scared of it. He's not even scared to deal with religious spirits. He was the one that destroyed the bronze snake. That's what verse 4 says that Moses made. He's the one that decided to mess with things that People would call him, you, you, you know. This is stuff that for generations, religious spirits that people were scared to deal with. But Hezekiah was different. He dealt with even this thing that Moses had made. And verse number five tells us that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And it goes on to say that there was no one like him. Stay with me here. Not before him. Or after him. So when we read this synopsis in verses 3 through 5, it's wild to me that we would find this same Hezekiah here in 2 Kings 19 in this bleak circumstance. What happened was Assyria showed up. What happened was, let me say it like this, an inevitable circumstance showed up. Something that Hezekiah had zero control over. There's nothing that Hezekiah could have ever done in his whole entire life to stop the circumstance that he found himself in. No matter how much praying he did. No matter how much destroying of these idols that he did. There was nothing that he could have done. From the king of Assyria showing up at his doorstep. And he shows up here. In verse number 9 of 2 Kings chapter number 18. In King Hezekiah's fourth year of his reign. And verse number 10 says, at the end of three years, the Assyrians took Israel. Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year. The ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, the king of Assyria, deported Israel to Assyria and settled Halah. Now, 
We all need to understand that at this time, there's a split kingdom. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. He is not the king of Israel. So there are ten tribes that make up the king of Israel. And these ten tribes are taken hostage by the king of Assyria. And Jerusalem is the capital of Judah at this time, Christian. And King Hezekiah is reigning in Jerusalem when all this is going down. So what Hezekiah is seeing is that everything around him is being defeated. We continue and we see that in verse 12, this happened because they, and when he says they, he's speaking of Israel. When he says they, he's speaking of Samaria. He's not speaking of Judah. The, the scripture writer is saying that this happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God. They had violated his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. Now this is important for us to understand if we have any maturity in Christ, Brother Gino. And this is not my message, but I feel by the Spirit of the Lord it's important to pause and understand that sometimes we can very much misinterpret and misunderstand what's going on around us. Ultimately, God is in control and what the writer is saying is no matter what it seemed to Hezekiah at the time, what was really going on is that God was in control of this entire situation. He was using the Assyrians as his pawn. That's what the writer is saying. This, this happened not because the Assyrians were so powerful. No, 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 no. This happened because the Assyrians took over God's plan. And suddenly the devil was winning. No, that's not how it happened. It happened because God was in control. Can I tell you why things are happening in the world around us right now? Can I preach here just for a minute? Can I be a believer here just for a second and remind you that things are happening because God is in control? I don't know why God is doing what he's doing. I don't know why God is allowing what he's allowing. But I do know that God is in control. Oh, I feel the Spirit of the Lord setting someone free in this place today. He's in control. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's in control. So here he comes in the 14th year, in verse number 13 of 2 Kings. And Sennacherib begins to wipe out Judah. Now the heat's getting closer. And... Hezekiah in verse 14 sent this message to the king of Assyria. He says, I've done wrong. Huh. Withdraw from me. Leave me alone. Listen to King Hezekiah. Listen to King Hezekiah, who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Listen to King Hezekiah, who did right. As his father David had done. Hezekiah says I've done wrong. Withdraw from me and I'll pay you. Whatever you demand of me. And the king of Assyria exacted. From Hezekiah 300 talents of silver. And 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver. That was found in the temple of the Lord. And in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time Hezekiah. King of Judah stripped off the gold which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord, and he gave it to the king of Assyria. 2 Kings 18 and verse chapter number 3 says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. And then down here in verse 14, it says that, excuse me, 15, that Hezekiah gave this king of Assyria all the silver from the temple and it stripped the temple of its gold and paid this price to the king of Assyria. In other words, the temple had been downgraded. <laughs> and it was downgraded in order to appease King Sennacherib and the Assyrians. But Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, help me in here, Spirit of God. You know, 
This is the first skew. This is the first mistake that we see in the life of Hezekiah. But Hezekiah did right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, but, but if I'm not blind, and if my reasoning is working correctly this morning, Christian, if I'm thinking right today and I'm reading this, it seems to me right here in verse number 14 that he didn't do right. Y'all agree? Can I just ask y'all, can y'all be honest with me? Because it seems like the writer messed up here when he said he did right. Because it doesn't seem like he's doing right, Dad. That he's stripping the temple of its value. And he's paying this tax in order to appease the king of, Samaria, of Assyria. The temple had lost its luster. In other words, Hezekiah had compromised. <laughs> he had compromised. In order to appease this king, he compromised because he was feeling the pressure of what was going on around him. Oh, and the Spirit of the Lord convicted me when I read this. And he reminded me, son, we all go through seasons where we lose our luster. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord had to remind me, all of us go through seasons where we strip the silver and the gold off of this temple. Oh, we might still have our worship, but it ain't what it used to be. We might still have our faith, but it ain't what it used to be because scenarios, circumstances, and situations are going to get the best of us all at different points in time. We all go through seasons of compromise in order to appease. Let me say it 50 more times so I could run every religious spirit up out of Norman, Oklahoma, up out of Oklahoma City, up out of your life. Let me say it again. We all go through seasons where we have compromised. I'm trying to set you free in this place today. I'm trying to let you know that God is not finished with you yet. We all go through seasons. Well, we've lost our luster. And then, of course, here comes Sennacherib right away in verse 17. Here he comes with his message. Because the enemy's smart. The enemy's timing is impeccable. <laughs> the enemy always tries to capitalize when he knows that you are in a season of compromise. Some of you are dealing with the enemy right now. And the enemy's been messing with your mind and your spirit and your psyche. The enemy has been trying to tell you, you know you compromise. I got you now. You're over with now. But I came to remind you that God is not finished with you yet. Oh, can I preach in this place? Y'all don't preach back like they do in San Antonio. I love y'all, but they would have done run me up out my church in San Antonio by now. Y'all are cute up here. Y'all are pretty. I'm messing, I'm messing with you, by the way. I actually love preaching here at Quest Church. I'm just sweating more than y'all, and I'm jealous. I'm hating on you right now. <laughs> Verse 5 gives us a key. It says that, uh, of 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18 and verse 5 gives us some incredible understanding when it says that there's no one before him that was like him. And there was no one after him that was like him. Because I can reword that another way. You could, you could say that he was different. <laughs> he was different than everyone else. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm different. He says, there was no one like him. Look at your neighbor and tell him, there's no one like me. Tell him, there's no one like me. Tell him, I'm different. Because the proof, the proof, the proof, the receipts were not in his perfection. No, 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 no. The proof was not in the perfection. The receipts were not in the perfection. The Spirit of the Lord had to remind me last week that it's not about being perfect, Pastor Dustin. Oh, no, 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 no. The Spirit of the Lord had to remind me it's about being different. And I had to come here to quest this morning to remind you because some of you are struggling that you have not been perfect. Some of you are struggling today because you have imperfections that have shown themselves forth during seasons of compromise and pressure. But I want to remind you today that it is not about being perfect. It is about being different. 
Look at your neighbor again and tell them, I am different. Can I help you today? Forgive yourself for not being perfect. Can I set you free today? Forgive yourself for not being perfect. Forgive yourself that you have made a mistake. Forgive yourself that there were seasons where you lost your luster. And celebrate and encourage yourself today that no matter the fact that you are imperfect, you are still different. Look at someone and tell them, I might be imperfect, but I'm still different. Oh, come on here, Quest Church. The Lord reminded me I could have let my imperfections get the best of me. I could have let my imperfections turn me into everyone else. But the Lord reminded me, son, despite your imperfections, you have always made a decision to stay different. I have never disowned my salvation. I have never discredited the control of God. I might have lost my luster at times, but God has always kept his place. The apostle Peter came along in 1 Peter chapter number 2, and he said, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special people. You are not like that. You were called out of darkness. Why? To declare his praises. Look at someone and tell them, I'm different. I'm different. Why? Because I have receipts. Look at someone and tell them, I've got the receipts. Look at your neighbor and ask them, do you? Do you have the receipts? I got the receipts. Do you? Hezekiah had his. Hezekiah had his. He did not allow his mistake. I better wrap up. It's noon. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> no, I'm looking at that clock right there. I want to rebuke it, say some nasty things to it, but I'm not going to lose my luster in here today. No, I'm not. God did not allow his mistake, excuse me, Hezekiah did not allow his mistake to rob him of his prayer and his praise. Hmm. Oh, can I just pause? Can I just encourage you? Do not allow your mistake to rob you of your prayer and your praise. Oh, that's what the devil wants. The devil wants to rob you of your prayer. And your pra- do not let your mistake to rob you of your prayer and your praise. Hezekiah knew how to keep God in his position with his prayer and his praise. In 2 Kings chapter number 19, after Sennacherib has done come and made his threat and made it seem as though the inevitable is going to happen. The scripture says in 2 Kings chapter number 19 and verse 14 that Hezekiah received this letter. He received this message from the messengers and he read it and then he went up to the temple. He went up to the temple. He went up to the temple. Oh, we could read that and think, oh, He went up to church, and I do want to remind you that receiving bad news or facing a dire circumstance is the last time, the last thing, excuse me, that should make you run from the church. The first thing that you ought to do when you're facing trouble is you ought to be running straight to the church doors. You ought to be running straight to the temple. But the ascension that took place here is a beautiful thing. I mean, it causes me to think of the Apostle Paul Marlowe. When he's sitting with Barnabas on the floor of a prison cell in chains. And he's at the bottom of the bottom in dire circumstances. But just as the King Hezekiah went up to the temple of the Lord, you know, the Apostle Paul also went up to the temple in that moment. And there are those of you that are saying, how did he go to church while he was in prison? And this is where so many of us as believers are messed up and we're disconnected in our relationship with the Lord because we don't understand the power that resides within our very own temple. 
Oh, can I tell you that you don't have to wait on Sunday in order to get things right? Oh, it can be a Tuesday afternoon with the devil beating you all over your head and you still have an opportunity right in that hour to put yourself in the right position. Look at someone and tell them, I have the receipts. When you begin to praise, it takes you up. The Bible says that Paul began to sing hymns. I think about that and I think, you know, you couldn't make a trip, Gino, to the temple during Passover season. You couldn't make a trip to the temple from wherever you were without singing this special select little group of psalms. Y'all have read them before, you just don't know it. They're found in the 120s and 130s. I think there's about 14 of them. They're called the songs of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. And the reason they're called the song of ascents is because as the people would make their way to the temple, they would sing these songs. What were these songs? Pastor Dustin, these were songs that recounted the deliverance of the people of God. These were songs that declared the praises of the Lord in the position that he belonged. And it happened so often that if you were a little Hebrew boy or a little Hebrew girl, dad, uh, 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 you, you, you begin to, every time you would hear one of these songs in your mind, your mind would begin to make that journey up to the temple of the Lord because you remember all the times as a little kid with mom and dad as, as we made that trip we would sing these praises and some of you don't understand that all a moment in time needs is for you to open your mouth and give God his praise don't allow your mistake to rob you of your praise and your prayer he prayed and I'm almost finished I need to wrap it up he prayed. He put God in his position first. He put God in his position first. In verse 15, Hezekiah prayed, God, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Uh-huh. He believed that God was exactly who he said he was. Too many of us want, to, want God to put our problem in its position. And we never properly ourselves put God in his position. God ain't never going to put your problem in its position. As long as you keep treating God like he needs to look at your problem eye to eye. Some of y'all talk about your problem to God as it is equal. Like, Lord, you better do something about that. When some of you need to drop the problem and check it at the door and say, God, I don't even want to talk to you about this problem right now. I just want to talk to you about you. We'll talk about the problem later. I just need to take a couple minutes this morning. Some of you came in this place today looking for God to fix something, looking for God to add something, looking for God to do something. And God is wondering, when's the last time? You ever set all that aside and said, God, you reign all by yourself. Oh, Hezekiah didn't care that he was facing the circumstance he was facing. It didn't change God's position in his mind. Too many of us allow our problem to change who God is to us. God ought to become greater when your problems become greater. Not smaller. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Look at somebody and tell them God had been waiting for the proof. That's my last point. God had been waiting for the proof. God had been waiting on receipts. Let me, let me close. Let's, Brother Gino, begin to play and I'll wrap this up. Let's all stand to our feet. Uh, especially if this word is for you. Is this word touching anyone this morning? If it is, will you stand to your feet and let me wrap up. Brother Gino, Brother Gino shut me up here, sir. God had been waiting for his proof. God already had his. In 2 Kings 19 and verse 20, the Lord spoke. The Lord always has something to say. 
Some of you are in a season of silence with the Lord. There's someone in this building today, you're saying, you know what? God's not speaking right now. And his silence is scaring me. Let me remind you, God always has something to say. God's never silent just to be silent. If God's silent, sometimes he's just waiting on you. God already had his proof. He already knew what he was going to do. As a matter of fact, when you get to verse number 25 of 2 Kings 19, the Lord speaking to Sennacherib tells Sennacherib, have you not heard? This is the Lord speaking to Sennacherib. Long ago, I ordained it. In the days of old, I planned it. And now I'm just making it happen. Now I'm just bringing it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But I know where you are. I know when you come and go. I know how you rage against me. The Lord was telling Sennacherib, I planned this a long time ago. You know what the Lord has to say to your problem right now? I knew this was going to happen before it ever happened. I'm the one that planned it. Some of you are saying, well, how is that possible? This is where proof comes in. This is where faith comes in. But the Lord had to turn and tell Hezekiah, I have proof for you too. And you know what I came to tell you this morning, Quest? That the Lord has proof for you. The Lord has receipts today. And here's his proof. He told Hezekiah, he said, Hezekiah, this year, you will eat only what grows up by itself. In other words, you're going to eat of what you didn't work for. In other words, there's going to be blessing in your life that you didn't work for. And next year, you're going to eat what springs up from that. You know what I came to tell you, Quest? There are things that are about to come into your life right now that you didn't even have to work for. But in the third year, you will plant crops, you know. There's a progression here. You're going to grow. You're going to grow. You're not always going to find yourself in this circumstance. Mm, 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 mm. Mm, mm, mm. In other words, learn something right now. (laughs) The Lord's saying, I know you're weak right now because you've been fighting a lot. But I have provision for you. But the Lord's saying, while you're being provided for, learn something. The Lord is saying, while I'm pouring my blessing out on you, you ought to be growing. Because in a couple years, everything that I'm giving you right now, I'm going to expect you to plant it and receive your harvest from that. That's what the Lord is saying. And he's saying, and in the fourth year, you are left in Judah who have escaped the ravages of the seed. You'll be established. You'll put roots down. You'll grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people was spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the proof. You know what the Lord told me? And I'm going to close with this statement. And then I'm going to pray and turn the service over. The Lord told me this, that the proof is not in what I'm going to do. The proof is in my word. The proof is in my promise. The proof is that I promised you something to begin with. The proof is that you have something to place an expectation on to begin with. Can I, can I challenge you today, Quest Church? Walk out of here today. Walk out of this building with your receipt in hand. Walk out of this building, and I want you to walk out of this building carrying your proof. And if you're saying, Pastor Dustin, what is my proof? Your proof is that you are carrying a word from the Lord. And you know what the word from the Lord is? It's a word that is contrary to what Sennacherib is telling you right now. Where is the proof? The proof is in that you have something to say concerning the circumstance that you find yourself in faith is the substance 
of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The Lord didn't say, I'm going to give you proof. The Lord said, here is the proof. Some of you are saying, Lord, where is the proof? And the Lord is trying to tell you, I already gave it to you. Oh, Pastor Dustin, you're warping my mind right now. You're jacking with me. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, I remember this old man named Abram. And Abram said, Lord, what are you going to give me? If I do exactly what you're telling me to do, Brother JC. And you know how the Lord kept responding to him? He kept saying, I am your exceeding and your great reward. And Abraham would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, Lord. But how are you going to prove to me that you're going to do everything that you said you're going to do? And then the Lord would turn around and say, Abraham, I am your exceeding and your great reward some of you are saying God what are you ever going to do everything that you promised me you're going to do and the Lord is saying I already gave you the proof because I gave you a promise to begin with and don't you know that every word I send out is going to carry out exactly everything I sent it to do look at someone and tell them I have receipts lift those hands towards heaven Father I thank you today I pray that faith has been built. I pray that faith has been encouraged. I pray that us as your people walk out of here today with more evidence, with more proof. Father, I pray that you place the body of Christ in a position that we begin to understand once again that faith is simply the expectation that no matter what we are facing, you not only are capable, but Father, you are also willing ready and intended to do something great in our life. Father, we walk out of here in that faith today, no matter what circumstances that we may be facing. Father, we have an expectation that you are going to do something right. And Father, we know that because we have that expectation, inevitably, we don't know how, we, we might not know when, but Lord, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a God that keeps your promise. You're going to do everything that you promised us that you would do. Father, you have great things in store for us. Father, help us to walk out of here in power today. And with this faith and this receipt in hand. Father, we praise you in the precious name of Jesus. If this word was for you, then will you shout amen in this place? I love you, Christ Church.